Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. That Cast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the That Cast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and I have a great show coming your guys' way this week. Just like every golf fan, I, I imagine, I, I've often dreamed of playing at Augusta National Golf Club, site of the Masters Tournament. Oregon State sophomore Ellie Slama was lucky enough to play the course just last week as she competed in the inaugural Augusta National Women's Amateur. And Ellie is going to come on the show to talk about her experience uh, back in Georgia. You know, it was one of the top-ranked amateurs in the United States. Ellie was one of 72 players receiving an invitation uh, for the tournament. The first two rounds were held at the Champions Retreat Golf Club with, top, with the top 30 players advancing to play at Augusta National. All 72 of the entrants did get to play a practice round at the famous course, and Ellie actually made six birdies during her round. Incredible. Uh, we're going to talk about all of that on the show uh, in just a bit, uh, but before, I did need to spend a couple minutes uh, discussing the big Oregon State baseball news that came out Tuesday night. It started with, uh, with the baseball game itself, a 12-8 loss to Oregon. It snapped the Beavers' 10-game winning streak in the Civil War series. And then after the game, ace Kevin Abel uh, caught us off guard by holding a press conference and announcing that he's about to undergo season-ending Tommy John surgery on his right elbow. First off, uh, we're all certainly wishing Kevin the best and, and a speedy recovery. I think there's still kind of a stigma out there surrounding Tommy John surgery, but the procedure is so widespread now, and the overwhelming majority of players, I believe it's now north of 80% or so, make a full recovery. Kevin brought that up multiple times while speaking to the media, and he appears to be in very good spirits with his surgery looming. You know, the second Abel made the announcement, I knew people would be commenting on his workload at last year's College World Series. And look, he, he did throw a lot of pitches over a relatively short span, including 247 during a six-day stretch to close the tournament. We all remember his 129-pitch complete game shutout in the finals, but he did have a, a couple other pretty lengthy outings as well back in Omaha. And, you know, but before anyone in the media uh, could even ask Kevin a question, just in his opening statement, uh, Kevin addressed those overuse accusations. Uh, he said, and I quote, people are going to go after Pat Casey and Nate Yeski and Bales and everyone. There's no warranties. There's no guarantees in this game. It's just baseball. It happens. And, and Kevin, actually, he elaborated on that topic later, uh, stating, I felt better than ever coming into this season. I never got overused. I never did anything that I didn't feel like I wanted. Uh, to and my coaches never put me in a situation that would jeopardize my career, my life, anything like that. In, in a vacuum, you know, it certainly looks bad that he threw so many pitches in, in amount of time at the College World Series. But in reality, it's just it's absolutely crazy to put any blame on Oregon State's coaching staff for this injury. You know, Abel had only thrown uh, about sixty innings all year entering the College World Series, uh, far, far, far fewer than Ace Luke Heimlich and number two starter Bryce Femmel. You know, Abel after the College World Series, he took the entire summer off and didn't even throw another pitch until October. 
So the, the fact of the matter is Tommy John surgery is just now super, super prevalent among young pitchers. You know, we, we see it all the time, and it's almost always just a case of lengthy wear and tear over a period of time. So to, to say or speculate that, oh, hey, Kevin Abel, he wouldn't need Tommy John surgery if he came out after five innings in his final start. I mean, that that's that's just insane. That's kind of like the equivalent of blaming, you know, one single hurricane or a wildfire on climate change. You know, just it doesn't it doesn't work like that. It's way, way more nuanced. You can't you can't. It's just it does not work that way. So have we seen the last of Kevin Abel in an Oregon State uniform? It's certainly possible. I think even with the surgery, he will still be a hot commodity in the 2020 draft as teams are no longer fearful of taking a risk on Tommy John patients. Recovery time varies so widely with Tommy John that it would be irresponsible to speculate on Abel's ability ability to return next year, I think. You know, it, it wouldn't stun me if he's a piece of the bullpen by midseason, but it's also possible he won't throw one competitive pitch in all of 2020. We'll just have to see. And like everyone else, I'm I'm wishing the best for Kevin. He's a great kid with a great family, and it seems to me like he's handling this whole process in a very mature manner. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. You can find this show uh, plus uh, tons of others on a wide variety of topics on the site. The Beaver Buzz podcast is also available on iTunes and Spotify, so please subscribe, rate, and review. We're going to take a quick break here, and I'll be back with Ellie Slama of the Oregon State Women's Golf Team. Redline, we're really about training the youth athletes. We're focusing our training business on young athletes between the ages of 8 and 18, so that when they go back out to their sport of choice, they can perform better. Here, we're about building that better athlete. Online at redlineathletics.com. Want to grow your money and avoid pitfalls in financial planning? Check out Chuck Price and Investing Simplified. Find it and other shows on the ThatCast Network. ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm set up down here in the Guild Coliseum media room, and uh, sitting across from me is Oregon State sophomore golfer Ellie Slama. Um, Ellie was a two-time state champion at South Salem High School, and she just got to play on one of the best golf courses in the entire world and compete in the National Women's Amateur at Augusta National. Um, Ellie, so thanks so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule to join me on the Beaver Bus podcast. I'm super excited for this one. Thank you. Um, you know, I don't really have necessarily a true favorite sport, I guess. You know, baseball, football, maybe depending on the season is what, what I follow. But I think that if you, like, forced me to actually answer that question, I would maybe say golf is my favorite sport. You know, I'm kind of an old man now. It's really <laughs> the only one that I play on a regular basis. I also love watching it on TV, obviously, and certainly, you know, played my fair share of Tiger Woods golf growing up. So I guess from my perspective, kind of as a casual golfer, I can't even really imagine what it would be like to play at Augusta National Golf <laughs> Club. I mean, it just it doesn't even, like, register in my head. So I guess for a high-level college golfer like you – that, that must have been just a surreal experience, right? Yeah, it was incredible. We got to play it on Friday of last week, so the week before the Masters. So obviously the course was in perfect shape and there was not a blemish out there. And it was just the most incredible experience. Yeah. On television, the course always just looks so incredible, like almost like not even real. You know, the green grass, the pine straw, the flowers, the trees. It's just, uh, it's majestic i guess so i mean 
you know, you had been fortunate enough to attend the Masters as a fan, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah so I, I, you you had already seen it, but can you kind of like explain to me just what all of that looks like in person? And just I mean, because you know, it's it it probably doesn't directly translate what you see on TV, but it just it looks so beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it is beautiful there as well as on TV, and they have a crew out there like twenty four seven, like fixing the pine straw, so it's exactly like perfect and. <laughs> They have people out there like replanting flowers if they're not in bloom at the certain time. And so they make everything look exactly like how it does on TV just to, you know, set the setting of the whole tournament. What does it smell like? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like perfectly cut grass and um, pine straw. I mean, it's the most beautiful golf course I've ever like watched or played. And I think seeing it on TV, it just looks almost as almost as pretty, yeah. So what was uh, what was different about the course, or was there anything different from when you actually got to play on it as opposed to when you were there as a fan? I mean, you know, it's probably not as many people, obviously. Yeah. Right? What were what was that? Was it similar at all? I, yeah, I mean, so. In 2015, when I went and watched the Masters, obviously there was crowds on every single hole, so it was hard to actually see the layout of the golf course. Mm -hmm. And so when I was there on Friday playing in the practice round, it was completely empty, except for you know my two guests. And so being able to play it when there's not crowds and tons of people just makes it that more majestic and makes it look like an actual golf course rather than a tournament setting. Your two guests, were they your parents? Yeah, they were. What, 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 did they, what were they kind of like watching you play the course? And were, were you interacting, uh, interacting with them at all kind of like, yeah. you know, during, during your round? So my dad was my caddy for the first two uh, rounds okay. at the Champions Retreat. And then the practice round at Augusta, I got an Augusta caddy. And so he was just taking photos of everything <laughs> and walking around and, you know, listening to the yardages and trying to figure out, like, what the pros would be at on this hole and like where the Sunday pin was on this hole. And my mom was just in awe and I could not stop smiling the whole round because it was just unreal. That's so funny. Cause that's exactly, I think what I would do just looking <laughs> at trying to recreate certain shots yeah. that pros have made. Oh, I did that. <laughs> yeah. And then I just, I remember, uh, we were talking about him earlier off air, but, uh, my friend Johnny Motomochi, former Oregon state golfer, they were actually fortunate enough when he was a coach at Oregon state, they got to play a practice round at, uh, the players championship, mm -hmm. uh, TPC sawgrass the day after Oh, um, wow. The day after the tournament ended, I think Coach Rehorn had some connection That's there. Cool. But yeah, it was, and it was actually the tournament where Tiger Woods won, and he got that kind of that interesting drop. I don't remember which hole on the back nine it was, but they actually they found the exact spot where mm -hmm. Tiger had dropped it, and they were just doing all these different yeah. things. But on a really famous course, you know, like TPC Sawgrass yeah. or Augusta National, it has to make it even more cool to do that stuff, right? Yeah. Well, so on 16, I hit the famous Tiger Woods chip <laughs> from the left side of the green to the back left pin, which is usually the Sunday pin. And it's impossible. I still don't, I don't know how he did it. You have to be able to put so much spin on it, but also bring it off of the tier, like at the perfect speed. It was, it makes it even more impressive watching it now. I think the shot that I would have tried to hit is probably Phil's famous on 13 through <laughs> the trees, which, you know, it's funny because that shot probably in reality might not have been as difficult as it looked on television. Cause I think he had, did have a pretty big angle. Did you tinker with any of that stuff? She I did not see Phil's, but I did go look at where Bubba hit his shot oh, on, on 10 and yeah, obviously I'm not left-handed, but it was, it, 
I still don't know how he did it. It was a very impressive shot. So that had to, did that thing completely bend like 45 degrees in a complete snap hook? At least, yeah. And it was from the pine straw, which you, you know, you can't really figure out exactly how that one's going to land. So yeah, the fact that he hit that shot and I mean, hit it perfectly was amazing. No, <laughs> seriously. You know, one, one thing I've heard many times about Augusta National from some people who have been there and also pros is just the course is so much hillier than it really looks it on really TV. Is. Yeah, so there, there, there are a lot of shots with some kind of crazy elevation changes, yeah. right? And you just have a ton of like awkward stances. So that's, I guess, just how hilly is it out there? Because, you know, on television, it doesn't really necessarily look that yeah. way. Yeah, you can't see it at all on television. Um, 10 is straight downhill. Yeah. The lie on that hole is going to be a downhill lie no matter how far you hit your drive. And it's a pretty long hole. So coming into it with like a long iron is a pretty difficult shot. Um, 18 straight uphill. Uh, the green was like, it was plus 11 yards up from wow. where I was. So, I mean, just numbers like that where you don't really think about it. A lot of the par threes are down a long ways, like number six and um, even four. So, I mean, just holes like that, you don't realize how hilly it really is. And the greens are just as undulating. <laughs> it's crazy. You don't have a straight putt on the entire course. So on 18, when you're hitting your approach shot in, do you not really have any idea exactly how close to the hole is? I mean, is it, yeah. that, is it so much uphill? You, I, no- you can't see. I could see the pin, obviously, but you can't see where your ball lands on the green. So, I mean, that hole is kind of like a mystery, but my caddy has, you know, caddied so many rounds out there that he knew exactly where it was when we got up there. So, so you got to play again about a week before the Masters. So just how perfect are the greens how quick were they uh i mean they're bent grass correct so at least you have a lot of experience putting on bent grass greens but as what 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 are i mean those greens just have to be again just perfect right yeah i mean like i said the course was in perfect condition and there was not a divot out there like every single green was running perfectly and smoothly and i did not see any ground under repair like most courses have (laughs) um but yeah, I think they said the greens were running about a 13 and a half. Wow. So, I mean, it was quick. And when you have a down grain, like downhill putt, you can't stop it. So you really have to put yourself in the right position on the green so that you don't run into that problem. So you got to play a full 18 hole practice round at Augusta? Yeah. What did you shoot? I shot 68, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. So how many was that with how many? Did you eagle on any birdies? No, eagle, what I did had you- six birdies and two bogeys, so... What yeah. holes did you birdie? Um, let's see. I birdied three, six. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot if eight, you can't remember. Nine, fifteen, sixteen. So I you think. A, so you had a pretty good, yeah. uh, pretty good front nine there. Though. Yeah, I bogeyed three and or no, sorry, I bogeyed four and five. So those four were five. those were the most difficult greens I thought so far. I mean the the, the position I was in on them. But um, yeah, I played really well. And I mean, <laughs> obviously it was just fun to be out there, but yeah. playing that well made it just as fun, so. So just talking about a couple of the famous holes, you know, one, just when, you, when they show the overhead on television, it doesn't really look that tricky. Um, I know it's a long, I mean, a lot of holes out there are long, but mm-hmm. players routinely double, triple that hole. And I mean, what makes, why is that hole tough? Is it just, do you think, is it just because it is the first hole? and that that tee shot is it is it a difficult tee shot? I guess what why is that hole? It seems like trips up so many yeah. players to over the years. Um, I mean, the first hole 
has a bunker that's almost exactly where the landing spot is mm -hmm. for most of the drivers. So I think that a lot of people run into the problem where, you know, they hit their drive left trying not to, um, not to hit into the bunker on the right. Um, and also the other problem is the green is pretty tricky. So if you're long on that green and the pin is, you know, front, it's a really tricky downhill putt. So a lot of people run into the problem of three putting, um, even four putting on that green. So 12 might be the most famous hole that short par three there on the back. Uh, what, what did you do at 12? <laughs> what was your distance? What club did you hit? Because I, I know it's not a long hole, but yeah. there's obviously a lot of trouble short. You can't go in the water as Jordan Spieth famously did a couple years yes. ago, hit three straight balls in the water. <laughs> long is really not any better because then you got to chip back toward the water. So what, what, what did you do on 12? Yeah. So I had about 145 to the pin. Uh, that hole is actually strange because you're in a corner, like they call it aiming corner mm -hmm. and it's windy, but you can't really see the pin um, blowing in the wind because so it's, it's protected by exactly. the trees, right? Yeah. yeah. So you never really know what yeah. the wind is doing. So, almost. I mean, honestly, that hole was just kind of, it's a feel shot. Like you have to be comfortable with the club you're hitting and just hit it up there. And I hit seven iron and I hit it to like 15 feet left of the pin. So I have hit the green on 12, <laughs> which I'm very proud of because after watching the masters this morning, even like most of those groups will be short or mm -hmm. long in the pine straw or long in the bunker. And it's just, none of those results are, you know, good. And it's hard to make a par from there. Two putted from 15 feet then? Yes. Two putted from 15 feet. Were you, clo were you close with your birdie putt? Uh, it was actually short, which was kind, oh, of, short. <laughs> kind of upsetting because I wanted to birdie that hole, but the girl in my group that I played with birdied it. So that was fun. Did you have a, a favorite hole or favorite set of holes out there? I mean, again, there's so many famous holes we could go through all 18, but yeah. yeah. Was, was there a hole or two that you just thought, oh man, that was just a blast to play? I mean, honestly, it's cliche, but 12, 13, those are the most beautiful holes. There's just perfectly blooming azaleas behind all of the greens and the bunkers are so white and they just stand out with the green grass. But um, those were definitely my top two. And 10 is also beautiful. I think it's really underrated. It's a pretty hole off to the mm -hmm. right, so. Did you get to I, did you get to have your phone while you were out there on the course and take some photos? Because obviously when you're at the Masters, you, you, you aren't able to have yeah. your phone. They take them away from the patrons. So yeah. you, you, did, you were able we to have We were it, able to have phones and cameras, but um, as an Augusta National rule, you're not allowed to share those on social media. Ah. Um, it's their way of figuring out exactly what photos they want to share with the world and making sure that it go, runs through them before it's on social media. So I have them all for myself on my phone. <laughs> And all for my family on our camera at home. So the only PGA Tour event I've ever been to was the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay, and I mean it. It is a little interesting that you know everyone does have their phones and all that, and there really are kind of some distractions when, is, when some of the yeah. bigger groups. So do you? It's kind of interesting that Augusta National. I can't imagine too many other venues prevent fans from bringing in phones these no. days. I, is that is that something where even like big picture future of golf? Do you think is that something that maybe other area you know PGA Tour events might experiment with just to try to protect the game because it can be really distracting yeah. out there for the players. I hope I so. I really do because having your phone out there while you're watching a tournament is just distracting for the players and for you because you're out there to watch golf. You're not out there to record it and have it on your phone. And if you really wanted to see it again, it's going to be on TV. So you might as well just you know watch it on Golf Channel. But 
I think that Augusta is just old fashioned in that way and they do a really good job with it. You have to go through metal detectors and like security checks before you can get into the masters and even before you could get into the A&WA. So, I mean, having those rules, I think is a, it's a good way of protecting the game and making sure that there's no distractions outside of what is already on the course. And you mentioned it. I mean, Masters Augusta National certainly is kind of old school. Yes. And there probably is, you know, there's no ignoring uh, the history there, which has been a bit, we'll say, tricky or problematic over the decades. You know, until fairly recently, you know, women weren't even allowed to, to play it yeah. at Augusta National. Mm-hmm. So I guess from that perspective, um, did it make for you maybe the experience, you know, even more special or cool that you were getting, uh, you know, as a woman, you were getting able to do something that you know, yeah. a lot of your, you know, a lot of your peers hadn't been able to do over the right. years. Um, I think... Yeah, the history at Augusta National is, it's come a long ways from where it was a few years ago. And um, Condoleezza Rice being the first woman to, you know, be a member there and have a green jacket and everything. It's a big deal to see that and to see 72 of the best players out there being able to play and, you know, perform at a, a level that we only get to see on TV. So I think having it be the inaugural um, tournament was also special in that way because now I can say that I'm a part of history as you know being one of the first women to actually ever play that course. Like whether or not it was in a tournament or whether or not it was just as a normal round of golf, but it's pretty, it's pretty awesome that they opened it up to us. Oh no, absolutely for sure. And we're uh, on that note, we're gonna Go ahead and take a quick break here, and uh, we'll be right back with more from Ellie. Price Financial Group Wealth Management. Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit thatcast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. So, Ellie, uh, go ahead then and explain to me, um, how exactly were you able to qualify for this super exclusive uh, 72-person field uh, for uh, the inaugural, I guess, a National Women's Amateur? Yeah, so in the, I think it was last April, they decided that they were going to um, host this event. And so they didn't put out how you can get in or the exemptions or any sort of qualifying um, ways, but they just announced the event. And so it was kind of in the back of my mind, like, wow, that's really cool. 72 players get to play Augusta and they're all female, which is amazing. And so, I mean, I kept it in the back of my head. And then um, the end of fall season, I got an email with all of the um, 
I think it was the top 100 Americans and they were just letting you know that you were you know being watched for the event and the qualifications were top 30 Americans and then the next 30 in um, the world amateur rankings for golf and so that was consisted of about 50% international and then 50% more American and then they picked um, 12 players from countries that were not represented or um, people who got exemptions because they won USGA events or stuff like that. So I actually qualified under the top 30 Americans on the world amateur ranking points. And um, it was close for a while. I was <laughs> I was right on the border. And then I had a really false, uh, really strong fall season and that helped me get in. And then I got an invitation the second week of January in the mail and it was this green envelope and it was incredible. I mean, there's a lot of good things you can get in the mail, certainly, but uh, <laughs> where would, yeah, an invitation to play golf at Augusta National, that had to have been one of the better pieces of mail you probably ever received, it right? It was, yeah, it was definitely the best He's a male I've ever received. And unfortunately, I was not home because I don't live in Salem anymore. Oh, they send it to your parents. They they send it for everyone. Like the girls that go to school in Arizona, it got sent to Ireland or, you know, somewhere. And so then they had their parents like shipping it. (laughs) But um, so my mom FaceTimed me when she got home from work and she's like, look what's on the front porch. And I'd seen it on social media a little bit with other girls. And so... I wasn't sure if I was getting the invitation, Mm -hmm. if it hadn't come yet, but they all got sent on the same day. So it was just the timing of, you know, my mom got off work and got Mm -hmm. home and then I got to see it. And then they brought it down the next weekend so that I could hold it. But (laughs) it was, it was amazing. Yeah. And it all ended up working out pretty well for your Oregon state schedule, right? Because I I think I I read in Nick Dash's piece on the Oregon live that you guys played a college tournament back in North Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. And then you were able just to drive straight down to Georgia with your parents. Yeah. So we actually, we played in two tournaments. We played in um, Arizona uh, the first week of spring break. And then we headed to North Carolina for the very end of our spring break. And that was a three day tournament in Greensboro. And then it was like a three hour drive from there to Augusta. And so my team all flew home with my coaches and then my parents and I, and my brother got to drive down. So yeah, it was really fun. And it, it worked well cause I was on East coast time for a long enough time that it wasn't, yeah. you know, a big switch and it was good. So how long were you actually uh, in, how long were you in Georgia then before you got, before you played your first round uh, of competitive? Um, We got in Sunday night and then Monday was registration and Tuesday was a practice round. So the first round was Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. Were there a little nerves early in that Wednesday round? I mean, there had to have been on that stage, right? Um, I definitely was nervous, like going into the tournament. I was less nervous on the first tee than I thought I would be because I think everyone had, you know, similar nerves with it being the inaugural event. Yeah. Um, I don't have as many nerves on the first tee as I do on the first putt, which is very, (laughs) very strange. Um, it's definitely a me thing, (laughs) but yeah. So I three putted on the first hole, which was not a great way to start the event, but I ended up coming back that first round. So. Yeah, so you shot uh, nine over, 153 overall, Mm -hmm. and uh, weren't able to make the 36-hole cut, finishing in a tie for 52nd. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, though... That late in your second round, you were right there on that on that yeah. cut line. So did you did you I guess start feeling a teeny bit of extra pressure late as as any thoughts of hey I just maybe one more birdie here and I can put myself in position to make this cut? Yeah, like, I mean I thought about that for sure. The wind was a lot stronger the second round than um, it was the first for me, and okay. I wasn't playing 
poorly, but I was making pars. I, none of my putts were dropping for birdie, which was frustrating, but, um, yeah, I was, I was right at it. I was four over going into my 14th hole, I believe. And, um, I ended up doubling that hole and I don't think I knew where I was at in relationship to the cut, but I did know that I was going to be close. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a tricky hole, tricky course. I mean, and, uh, that kind of, ended it right there for me. But even if I would have, you know, come back, it wouldn't have really made much of a difference. But I think that being able to be in the event just itself and, you know, playing Augusta National and playing Champions Retreat was just a highlight for me. So I wasn't too disappointed that I didn't make the cut. What was the setup like at the Champions Retreat Golf Club? Was it similar to Augusta or was it just a completely different style of course? Yeah, um, it was long like really long. Um, I had five iron, six iron, sometimes hybrid into the par fours and wasn't able to reach any of the par fives. So that being said, it was pretty different from Augusta because I had, you know, a huge selection of, um, irons into those greens there, but the course layout looked very similar to, um, what Augusta does, not as green, not as, you know, perfect, but the trees were the same, the pine trees, and um, there were some nice water features and some creeks down the sides of holes. But I think overall, they did a really good job hosting, and um, the greens were in perfect condition. Like, they were running almost as fast as Augusta. So that was cool to be able to play on a course like that and then jump over and play Augusta and see the similarities. A lot of the tournaments you guys played at Oregon State obviously have really, really, really strong fields. Mm -hmm. But so where where did this field um, at the amateur where did it kind of rank? Like I guess maybe for example, compared to like what you'll be seeing at the Pac-12 Championships uh, next week, was the was this field um, was was it really that much stronger overall than a standard college event? I mean, um, it's funny you say that because the field at the A and W A had a lot of players from the Pac-12. Mm -hmm. That was um, really cool to see that a lot of ASU players, um, USC was there. There's some Arizona girls. So that was, that was fun. But, um, I mean, like I said, it's the top 72 players in the world. So it's definitely the strongest field I've ever played in and competed against. Um, pac 12s is also one of the strongest <laughs> fields. Um, it's very similar to like, I mean, those, those different groups are pretty similar. So I'd say that ANWA is ranked number one be just because of how they picked the players. It was truly based off of the rankings. Um, Pac-12s is going to be strong as well. Pac-12 championships uh, begin Monday, April 15th in Southern California. Mm -hmm. uh, I checked the weather forecast this morning. You guys should be uh, yeah, all, all set down there. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's been quite uh, damp up this way. And as of late Thursday morning, uh, your practice facility over at Tristan tree is still underwater. Yeah. Um, has it been tricky at all for you guys, I guess, getting ready for pack 12s, which is the, the brutal weather we've, we've had up here. I mean, it's yeah. not, not ideal. I mean, I got a text on my flight home from my team and it said that we were going to be practicing in our indoor facility on Monday. And I had no idea why I thought that maybe it was <laughs> snowing in Oregon. Cause I hadn't looked at the weather in two and a half weeks. Um, and then I looked and it said we'd gotten five inches of rain in the last, uh, two days. So I experienced this in 2012 when we had another big flood and my course at, in Salem got flooded, but 
the country club actually punched their greens and oh. fairways. So we had no course for um, three days, which was good. So <laughs> we're, we're slowly getting back to it. We're playing at the country club today and um, it'll be okay. We'll, we won't forget how to play golf. So we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah, I know you last year uh, you finished uh, tied for 27th at the Pac-12 championships. Yeah. The team didn't do as well uh, placing 11th, but you guys still did earn an NCAA regional berth. I guess what, uh, you know, with all the, thi- with all things being, you know, considered, what are your kind of expectations going into this week? How do you feel about the way you're playing personally and what kind of what the rest of the team is looking like? Yeah. Um, personally, I think coming off of three tournaments back to back, um, it would be nice to have a little bit more of a break, but, um, I mean, I'm used to this and I've mm-hmm. done this my whole life. So, um, I'm excited to see how it pans out. Uh, my goal is top 10 in the Pac-12 as an uh, individual. And then as a team, our goal right now is top five. So we did that at Pac-12 previews in Hawaii, which was really good. And uh, I think that we have a good shot at it. We're playing well, and we've been you know, placing well in most of our tournaments this fall and this spring. So it's going to be – it'll be a good tournament. To wrap things up here, I have to ask you about your older brother, Tim. Uh, late last year, Tim, uh, who's also a student, is he a senior now at Oregon yeah, State? Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on Golf Channel's Driver versus Driver 2. Uh, it's a reality show that follows aspiring golf equipment designers. Uh, the winner received $250,000, yep. and their driver uh, would also be put into production <laughs> by Wilson. Uh, well, Tim was one of seven finalists, and he ended up uh, placing second on the show. Uh, but I believe he still offered a pretty nice little consolation package anyway. Um, so I guess what, what was it like watching your older brother um, on compete on a reality TV show? I mean, that had to be yeah. an interesting experience. It was crazy. The whole process was amazing. He just you know submitted a engineering CAD document to um, to the Wilson staff. Uh, people and they chose him to be I think it was 14 people were in it at the beginning and he made it through all the stages until the very final stage and I actually got to go to Chicago with him for that last stage and be there for the finale which was really cool so we were aware of it all happening but until watching it on TV I had no idea the whole process and the whole um, experience that he went through and it was a really great great time and he got um, a lot of really great friends and got good experiences and we actually saw golf channel at my tournament and (laughs) he knew all of the people so um that was really very cool so yeah he did a good job so what what's special about tim's driver and have have you i'm assuming you've used it yeah Do do you use it regularly um i have one actually yeah he so he was able to have like four or five of them shipped to him after um they weren't produced and so it's a good driver it really is um it's, it has a track on the bottom um, in the shape of a Z so that you can change it. Um, it's called the Roswell, and it's named after, after the uh, Roswell New, in New Mexico when the UFO was uh, sighted. <laughs> and so it's, his uh, slogan is extraterrestrial. Um, <laughs> so, that's I mean, good. yeah, it's out of this world is what that, he no, says. That's, that's good. I like that. <laughs> no, so he did, he did a great job with it and designing it. And, um, yeah, we've hit it. We've played with it. Um, I'm not playing with it right now, but <laughs> that's just because I haven't had the opportunity to figure out how it works and everything so but it's a great driver and I think he has a very strong future if that's what he chooses to do 
I know Tim played a little golf himself during his time at yes, South Salem. I'm did. sure. I'm sure you guys have engaged in some pretty epic battles over the years. <laughs> what, what when you guys do tee it up? Who who typically comes out on top? Um, I mean, he was the reason I started playing golf. So he was better than me for most of my childhood. But I think I surpassed him. <laughs> um, he hasn't played much being at college and studying engineering, so he doesn't have a lot of free time but yeah I mean it's still always fun to play with him and my dad and you know catch up and he he does a really good job playing with me and not getting frustrated when he hasn't played in a long time so yeah it's always fun well Ellie seriously that was an absolute blast doing it thanks so much for uh coming on the show and thank sharing, you very much yeah and sharing some stories and best of luck at the Pac-12 championships thank you we'll definitely all be uh following along back here unless uh Corvallis is underwater by then <laughs> Uh, that is all for this week's edition of the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we'll be back with another show in, you know next week sometime to discuss what's going on with Oregon State sports. Have a terrific weekend out there. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast network podcasts and videocasts at ThatCast.com.